Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong. If you saw me at Fort Collins Comic Con and are listening to this show for the very first time, welcome! It's so good to have you here. For the vast majority of you who weren't at Fort Collins Comic Con, I was invited to give a talk there in August, which I titled To Seek Out New Life, The Astrobiology of Star Trek, and I had such a good time at the con meeting new people and experiencing Colorado. It was one of the best audiences I've ever had for a talk. They asked tons of amazing questions, and I really hope to get invited to go back next year. Comic-Con isn't the only thing I've been up to recently. It's actually been one incredibly busy summer for me, full of traveling to conferences, mentoring students, and pushing hard on a few scientific projects to cross that publication finish line. You'll be hearing much more about these fabulous meetings and projects in the months to come. I promise. Now, one surprising task I had this summer was to record a welcome video for the students attending a summer school run by the International Society of Artificial Life as part of the annual Artificial Life Conference. People in the artificial life or A-life fields call themselves A-lifers. And A-lifers are an eclectic bunch of folk who have found their way to this esoteric subject from all different directions, ranging from organic chemistry to computer science. Dr. Alyssa Adams, one of the organizers of the Artificial Life Summer School and an accomplished A-life researcher herself, reached out to me to record this video. I've known Alyssa for years. We met back in 2015 when we were both graduate students attending a similar kind of summer school. So you can imagine that I was quite flattered to be asked by my old friend to give a speech to the next generation of students. And as you'll soon find out, I was also quite astonished to be asked to do this honor. So today on Strange New Worlds, I'm going to play the audio from that video I recorded for the Artificial Life Summer School. Again, it's geared towards early career researchers in the artificial life field, but I think it should be enjoyable and informative for anyone who listens to this show, too. In this recording, you'll hear me describe some of my more theoretical work in astrobiology and, of course, make reference to a pivotal scene in Star Trek. Engage! Hi there, my name is Mike Wong. I'm a NASA Sagan Fellow working at the Carnegie Institution for Science's Earth and Planets Laboratory. I think of myself primarily as a planetary scientist and an astrobiologist, so I was quite surprised and very humbled to be invited to make a video as a prominent and inspiring A-lifer because I honestly feel like an A-life newbie myself. But I think that just speaks to the wonderful nature of the A-life field. It's such a welcoming and inclusive community. I've attended the A-Life conference only twice, in 2020 and in 2022, both times virtually. And it seems like a miracle to me that I'm even a part of this field, let alone the subject of one of these videos. You see, I grew up squarely in the field of planetary science, modeling the chemistry of planetary atmospheres like those of Pluto, Titan, and Mars. 
My introduction to the field of astrobiology was through a project simulating the chemistry of early Earth's atmosphere, which is relevant to the question of the emergence of life on our own world, the story of how we came to be. Origins is a question that really pulls at me, but it's also a subfield fraught with distress. Despite the warring factions spouting dogmas in the form of prebiotic poetry, some people are able to keep a level head. And one of those people is Dr. Stuart Bartlett. Stuart is a staff scientist at Caltech, and like me, he is also deeply invested in the questions of where did we come from? And are we alone in the universe? But Stuart approaches these questions from a different perspective. Trained in physics, Stuart is a complexity scientist and a rising star in the A-Life community. It's through Stuart that I was introduced to A-Life as a field and to the annual A-Life conference. Whereas I was trained to think of life from a planetary perspective, informed and constrained by details from geology, atmospheric science, and astronomy, Stuart taught me to broaden my scope and understand LOIF, spelled L-Y-F-E, as an emergent phenomenon. LOIF with a Y is the term Stuart and I coined to describe this superset of all living systems in the universe, whereas life with an eye is strictly the instance of life that we see here on Earth. Why the need for a new word? Well, the story goes back to 2019 and a nighttime drive along the south coast of Spain. Stuart and I were traveling to a conference all about one specific scenario for the emergence of life. Cooped up in a tiny rental Fiat 500, we began talking about life's origins, and I found myself quickly getting confused. Were we talking about the exact conditions in which life originated on Earth, or were we talking about the general principles that could drive life into existence anywhere, anywhen? This is something that I hope you do at the summer school and the A-Life conference. Talk to someone from outside of your field so deeply that you are utterly baffled. Because confusion is not a bad thing. It's just a signal that there might be a scientific opportunity lurking just around the corner. On that road trip in Spain, Stuart and I realized that different origins scientists were asking very different questions. Biochemists and geochemists were often chasing the profound question of how life came to be here on Earth. But a lot of physicists, complexity scientists, and A-lifers were asking the question of how the living state comes to be in general independent of whether it's exactly like earthly life, like us. Two kinds of questions. So we need two kinds of words, life and life. Now, because we haven't discovered any other instances of life or life in the universe, we don't know what the general characteristics of life with a Y must be. Nonetheless, Stuart and I proposed a few tentative criteria. 
First, we expect that all LOIF must couple thermodynamically downward processes to thermodynamically uphill processes. This is how a living system maintains its self-order. Second, LOIF is expected to be autocatalytic, that is, under ideal conditions, which are almost never satisfied in reality, certain representative metrics of the system should grow exponentially. Third, LOIF should exhibit some measure of homeostasis, that is, resilience to internal or external perturbations. And fourth, LOIF should have the ability to learn, to process information about its environment to better its persistence. One of the main advantages of the LOIF concept is that it is inclusive of artificial life. It's not about the material substrate of the system. Instead, it focuses on the processes that a system does. While we cannot seek life in a computer simulation or a robotic swarm because life is a chemical phenomenon in aqueous solution, we can seek life. Stuart and I are both huge fans of Star Trek, and there is a Star Trek The Next Generation episode from 1992 titled The Quality of Life that we both adore. In this episode, we are introduced to little engineering robots called exocomps. At first, these exocomps are considered to be useful machines, helping the flesh-and-blood crew fix areas of their ship that are hard for humanoid hands to reach. But as soon as these AI bots display some degree of self-preservation, Lieutenant Commander Data, who is himself a sophisticated android, declares the exocomps alive, and therefore deserving of certain inalienable rights and privileges. In one memorable scene, the inventor of the exocomps argues that there is a huge difference between Data, an android, and the exocomps mere tools. I created the exocomps to be tools, and there is a big difference between Data and a tool. To which Data counters, Doctor, there is a big difference between you and a virus, but both are alive. It's my hope, and Stewart's too, that by introducing a new vocabulary term, LOIF, to the astrobiology and A-life lexicons, that we will have a better chance of recognizing life as we don't know it. Perhaps even life of our very own creation. Thinking about LOIF gave Stuart and me a new vantage point from which to think about planetary possibilities. Astrobiologists tend to rate a planetary environment's chance of having life by a metric known as habitability. But just like most definitions of life, the definition of habitability is very Earth-centric. It relies on the existence of liquid water, elements found in earthly biochemistry, and forms of energy that our life utilizes. Also, habitability is simply a statement about an environment's suitability for the maintenance of life. If I drop a microbe in a Martian brine, can it survive? But that might not be the only interesting question. For instance, many believe that the conditions required for the origin of life are different from those that simply permit its persistence. In other words, there might be a ton of habitable worlds out there, but if none of them could generate life in the first place, 
They'd all be sterile, habitable, but uninhabited. So Stuart and I introduced another new concept called genesity to the astrobiology literature. Genesity is meant to describe an environment's suitability for sustaining the emergence and continual evolution of life. A highly genial environment would feature, one, a large diversity of components, be they chemical, physical, or digital. Two, an energetic driving force to promote the exploration of different configurations of those components and to sustain the living system. And three, an informational driving force. This last one speaks to the complexity of the environment. If the system is too bland and boring, you won't incentivize a learning entity to evolve. I like to characterize the difference between habitability and genesity like this. Consider a petri dish. It's a very, very habitable environment. You toss some microbes in there and they'll go to town on that auger, dividing and dividing to their heart's content. But a petri dish is not an especially genial environment. You aren't likely to get an origin of life in your petri dish, and you probably won't see much evolution in it either, unless you introduce some environmental complexity. This was actually done in some clever experiments demonstrating antibacterial resistance, where researchers added a gradient of toxins to their dishes and saw the microbes slowly but surely develop ways of coping with higher and higher levels of toxin until they colonized the whole setting. A perfect display of evolution in action, all driven by variation in the environment. I know I've only touched upon a very small corner of A Life in this video. If you'd like to learn more, I highly recommend an insightful Scientific American article by science journalist Xi'an Kim titled Life Evolves Can Attempts to Create Artificial Life Evolve Too, in which Kim interviews many of the leaders in the field. In this brilliant piece of journalism, Kim draws parallels between the development of A-life as a science and the evolution of life itself. Like the collaborations between myself and Stuart Bartlett, many notable A-lifers have generated novelty through unexpected hybridization events across seemingly disparate disciplines. Just like those symbioses, I'm sure you're bound to form this summer. One big question on my mind is whether societal developments, language, culture, technology, art, and science itself, whether these things can be described by laws of evolution that blossom out of biological thinking, but take on a grander, more universal nature when applied to human systems and beyond. Are there general laws of creativity, novelty, information, learning, and emergence? In other words, can the revelations of A-life teach us how to better understand ourselves as complex evolving systems, and in doing so, give us opportunities to change our society consciously, systemically, for good? When you figure this out, please let me know. And with that, I wish you a fruitful and exciting summer school and A-life conference. I hope you're full of ambition 
and confidence. But during those moments when you feel intimidated or out of place, remember this. I don't know what I'm doing here either. <laughs> no two paths to A-Life are the same. So don't be afraid to chart your own fantastic voyage. And I guarantee it, when you least expect it, you'll find you've already found your way home. So explore widely and dream big. I'm Mike Wong, and I'll see you out there. The two papers of mine that I talked about, the ones about Loif and Genesity, are linked to in the show notes in case you want to take a read. I've also put a link to Dr. Kim's Scientific American article about artificial life. Again, it is a splendid article, and I hope you check it out. My hectic schedule isn't going to get any less busy this fall. I have several more conference trips planned, and not to mention, it's job application season again. As a postdoctoral fellow, I am always on the prowl for faculty positions, and I know that I'll be spending quite a bit of time in the coming months crafting those pesky little applications. But when I get the time, I will be producing new episodes of Strange New Worlds. Coming soon, I've got a fantastic conversation about nationalism and Star Trek with historian Daesun Oka, as well as episodes examining Lieutenant Commander Data as a strategist with a pair of sports psychologists. And finally, I'll be recapping Season 2 of Strange New Worlds, the hit streaming show, with someone who will be very familiar to longtime listeners. So, lots to look forward to, including Season 4 of Star Trek Lower Decks, which I think is probably the one thing that will keep me sane as I stress out about job apps. Or actually, if you want to brighten my day, you can leave a rating or a review of this show in your podcast app. I'd really love that. Okay, until next time, and for the second time today, see you out there.